from the West Australian. It's Thursday the 21st of December. I'm Ben O'Shea and this is The West Live. The West Live. The West Live with Ben O'Shea. A sub-variant of the Omicron strain of coronavirus has now been classified as a variant of interest by the World Health Organization because of its rapidly increasing spread. JN1 has been found in many countries around the world, including India, China, the UK and the United States, and it's been detected in Australia since mid-October. According to the WHO, the risk to the public is currently low and current vaccines continue to offer protection. But they also expect case numbers to grow in the Northern Hemisphere winter and we should expect to see a rise down here too. In fact, you might already know people who are coming down with the Rona. It's not something to be alarmed about, but definitely be alert to it and maybe start practising some of those good pandemic habits like hand hygiene. And if you're feeling a bit crook, do a rat, wear a mask and try to avoid giving a respiratory virus to everyone you know, because no one wants to get the gift of COVID this Christmas. Coming up on today's show, we get to the bottom of elective surgery wait times and reveal why Christmas movies might be good for your health. But first, let's continue our countdown of the 23 biggest stories in 2023. The West Live. Making news. And joining me in the studio is Sunrise correspondent Matt Tinney. And Maddie, today we're going to count down the 23 biggest stories of 23. We've been doing it all week, and today we've got numbers 10 to 6. 2023 saw a number of famous faces leave us. Uh, as always, there are deaths. It's a part of life. Um, but this year, we lost a few great ones. And probably none loom larger than the death of Matthew Perry. Okay, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Will you watch my phone? Money, you just take it with you. Hey, we haven't been on a second date. She needs to hear me pee. Why don't you just call her? I can't call her. I left the message. I have some pride. Do you? No. The friend star who died drowned in his spa in the backyard of his home after mm. playing pickleball earlier that day. Uh, remember Matt Perry's death? Like, we were talking about pickleball. Did pickleball kill yeah. him? Was it drugs because he battled addiction for yeah. a large part of his life? Uh, that was a sad one. We also lost Tina Turner. What's Dame Edna. Hello, possums. Barry Humphreys, of course. Yeah, big um, one. Uh, in the sporting world, Ron Barassi was huge. Mm. Uh, that his, his loss, they talked about renaming the, the AFL Premiership Cup, the yep. Barassi Cup. Um, we lost singers. We lost Tony Bennett, Sinead O'Connor. Um, we lost Jerry Springer. Uh, we lost uh, Aussie chef uh, Jock Zonfrillo. Um, we lost Lisa Marie Presley, Michael Gambon from the Harry Potter movies. Um, it, it, famous model uh, Raquel Welch. We lost Bert Bacharach, uh, Cal Wilson. Aussie, yeah, uh, Aussie that was such a shock, that one. Comedian. Yeah. Um, Alan Arkin, uh, famous actor. We lost Indigenous leader, Mr. Unipingu. Uh, uh, Silvio Berlusconi, former Italian PM. Yeah. Uh, Rolf Harris and George Pell. Don't know if anybody will miss them. Um, but we will definitely Interesting miss... Interesting that they both went out in the same year. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we, we will miss Father Bob Maguire. Father Bob. I know, loved um, Father He was a big, a big friend of the show. We had him on a yeah. number of times. And just such, like in an organisation that in like the Catholic Church where 
where anyone who's different is usually shot down, he was just able to rise above it. Yeah, absolutely. He was an absolute legend. We miss your father, Bob. Um, Renee Geyer at the start of this oh, year. Yeah. You might, might have forgotten that yeah. one. Um, and most recently in December, Andre Brora from uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, mm. Captain Holt, um, which shocked a lot of people. He died at just 61 after a short battle with illness. So, yeah. So many big, big names. names. When big you put names, them all right? together like that. I know. And unfortunately, all of these huge names, iconic faces in the entertainment industry and sports world, um, they, a lot of them are getting to that age now. So I think over the next few years, we will see some of the greats um, uh, sign off for the last time. It's sad, but uh, it's also an opportunity to remember their wonderful, wonderful lives and contribution mm. uh, to pop culture. And that's certainly what we'll do, whether it's watching an episode of Friends or listening to Nutbush City and celebrating Tina Turner. Many, many ways mm. uh, to celebrate all of these wonderful people that we lost in 2023. Now, one of the most embarrassing news stories for the state government this year was the dramas around the Aboriginal Cultural Heritage legislation. Oh, yeah. So that came into effect in July this year. So this was designed to prevent another Duke and Gorge disaster, right? Uh, and so the intentions behind the legislation was good. Mm. Uh, it was it was drafted uh, in 2021 and, and, the thing and was finally it was came into effect. before the Gorge disaster yeah. that they started yeah, right. on this, that's wasn't right. it? Yeah. Uh, but then there were all of these amendments um, yeah. before it eventually came into effect and as a result they ended up with this legislation that industry leaders, farmers and community members um, found so confusing and complicated and there were stories about, you know, there was tree planting along the Swan River that was scrapped at the 11th hour because they weren't sure if it breached the yes. new, uh, cultural heritage legislation. Couldn't a, farmers couldn't put a fence in yeah, or dig. Yeah. or yeah. And, and look, there was there was probably a little bit of misinformation coming out as well. Uh, the government tried their best to say, look, these, the, the, some of these issues are not are not really a problem. You just have to work mm. th work through the issues. But uh, under the new legislation, um, landowners were required to check if cultural heritage sites were present on the land before undertaking anything. Um, and, and it also raised concerns among um, Indigenous groups as well because they weren't sure they had the resources to be able to conduct all of these surveys and put mm. a lot of pressure on some Aboriginal organisations to do that as well. Remember when the price list came out about like yeah. how much it would cost for someone to do an assessment yeah. or come so, out and there? It was, yeah. So we were talking daily news. Yeah. Uh, this cultural heritage laws uh, were were causing controversy, and after five weeks of that, yeah. uh, Premier Roger Cook eventually bowed to the criticism and announced that he was going to rewrite the laws. So in August, uh, after introducing them in July, those laws were scrapped uh, after five weeks. Pretty yeah. embarrassing, but I and think... I think it's made the government nervous since. Yeah. Oh, big I time. think they've been very tentative about doing anything uh, that could be controversial. Well, that's the thing, right? Like once once you release something and then you back down you set a precedent that but, I think is pretty yeah. dangerous. It's, it's uh, really dangerous because the government is meant to lead yeah. whereas now the government's going oh we yeah. don't like the reaction. Yeah exactly even though most people agreed that it was the right thing to do yeah, like yeah. when the legislation wasn't working they could have kept persisting and it caused just a complete disaster uh, instead they you know, they took their medicine, mm. um, scrapped the laws and brought in a revised version of the original 1972 Cultural Heritage Act um, with some protections to prevent your Duke and Gorges from happening in the future. Uh, the right decision in the end, but certainly a black eye for the Cook mm. government very, very early on in his tenure. Yeah. Now, one of the biggest stories in the last few months of the year has been the High Court's decision to release detainees uh, from immigration detention. Um, 
by surprise, took everybody by surprise, including the Albanese government. It's been a huge shock to his government. The decision by the High Court centred on the case of one man uh, who had been in immigration detention after serving a sentence for child sex offences and he couldn't be deported. He also couldn't be released into the community. And so basically you had this situation where these non-citizens were being held indefinitely, which the High Court deemed uh, illegal, and they released 149 of them, uh, some of whom were criminals, some of whom were violent criminals uh, with sex offences and violent crimes to their names. Uh, They were just dumped out on the street unceremoniously. Mm. Here you go. You've been locked up for years. Now here's a a cheap hotel on the outskirts of Perth Mm. and other cities around Australia. Uh, Just, uh, you know, good luck to you. Uh, And it was terrifying to many Australians. It was embarrassing for the Albanese government and they've been trying to clean it up ever since. Yeah, and some allegedly went on to commit more offences. Yeah, well, well, they rushed through legislation that was based on um, anti-terror laws mm. to put some of these people back behind bars. They didn't have to worry. Some of them put themselves back behind bars yeah, yeah. by committing more crimes. Um, pretty badly handled. Obviously, uh, Albo doesn't have control of the High Court. No, this is this is the thing. The, the opposition really went to town on oh, the yeah. government, didn't yeah. they? Got but huge the thing mileage. is, it was a High Court decision. You can't really make the argument, well, they should have had, you know, you know, all of these laws in place beforehand when you don't know what the High Court decision and reasons are, yeah. you know? Yep, absolutely. Uh, and no doubt we'll be keeping on talking about it in 2024 as they try and close all those loopholes uh, and uh, deal with uh, an ongoing migration issue that the government has struggled with so far. So the last time Britain held a coronation was on a rainy spring day in 1953. Then Prince Charles was just four years old. Well, it was another rainy spring day in May this year, 70 years later, when that little prince was crowned a king. You remember that? The coronation of King Charles this year? God save the king! God save the king! It just didn't have great excitement around it, no. did it? No. Well, the, the main excitement leading up to it was whether or not uh, Prince Harry was going to be there, yeah. wh- whether he was allowed to wear his military regalia. That's Remember right. that? Um, and then in the end, he did rock up after all of that fighting that had been going on mm. between him and the royal family. Um, Meghan and the two kids did not show up. They chose to remain in the United States. Um, and then when Prince Harry did walk into Westminster Abbey for the ceremony, um, it was with his cousins, Princess. Beatrice and Princess Eugenie. It wasn't with kind of the the main key royals right at the front of the queue. Um, And he also wasn't wearing his military uniform, but Prince Andrew, disgraced member of the royal family, was. And I think that probably put a lot of people's noses out of joint. I I just don't think, even, even though you're having a bit of a war of words with Harry... You know, nothing compared to Prince Andrew and the optics around yeah. him. And um, I mean, in every family from time to time has fallouts. It's just for them, it's so public. Yeah, and I think, you know, the only thing for me that took a bit of the shine off the coronation in terms of um, the pomp and ceremony mm-hmm. was we'd only kind of just had the huge uh, pomp and ceremony around the funeral of um, Queen Elizabeth II. Yeah. Uh, and so it was kind of like, oh, we're doing this again. More pomp. More pomp, too much pomp. Um, even though it was a bit of a stripped down version of a coronation, I don't I would hate to see what the full-on yeah, version no. was. Um, but Matilda's star, Sam Kerr, was the flag bearer for the Australian rep- uh, representation. Right. Um, Anthony Albanese was there as well. Um, Governor-General of Australia, David Hurley, was there. Um, so, look, it was a big moment for Royal Watchers. Um, and now, I guess we all just continue on. Yeah, the monarchy just doesn't seem to have the same excitement no. with Charles at the top. You know, it might change with William. 
Now, before this year, I have to admit, I'd never heard of Liam Gaffer. Oh. In in the foothills of of South you heard Gippsland, of yeah. Well, I have now, uh, and so it's about 135 kilometres southeast of Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and at the 2021 census, Leon Gatha had a population of just uh, under 6,000 people. So yeah. a small town, town, a small town, but it made international news Ooh. in 2023 over a beef Wellington dish that was cooked allegedly by Erin Patterson. What I can tell you is that I just can't fathom what has happened. I just can't fathom what has happened. That Ian and Heather have lost their lives and Gail has lost her life and Donna's still in hospital and I pray, I pray that he pulls through because my children love him. On July 29, it was served at lunch for her former in-laws, Don and Gail Patterson, Gail's sister Heather Wilkinson and her husband Ian at her home. Um, Patterson claims that her two kids went to the movies at the time of the lunch, um, but she has been accused of putting poisonous death cap mushrooms in this beef wellington. And as a result of that meal, uh, police allege that the four guests were admitted to hospital um, with suspected gastro. Um, Patterson herself also went went to the hospital with stomach pains. Um, but five days after the lunch, Gail Patterson and Heather Wilkinson died in hospital. Uh, the Victorian police launched an investigation. Um, a day later, Don Patterson also died in hospital. And then after this story had made international news, people talking about it, um, on November 2, Erin Patterson was charged with three counts of murder and five counts of attempted murder. Um, and they, the police will allege that she uh, tried to murder her ex-husband, Simon Patterson, um, in 2021 and 2023 on the day of the lunch um, and she appeared in Latrobe Valley Magistrates Court on the 3rd of November which of course Australia was watching and she's been remanded in custody to face uh, court again on May 3 2024 but wasn't that a story that just oh, just fascinated the world gripping story and just every twist and turn every interview every little detail 2023 not a good year for mushrooms no um, well, you know, that was it then, like- Start, look, I don't, I don't like mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, that's anyway, right. You're a, so you're a mushroom. I'm not, I'm not a critic. Yeah, yeah. So it, it didn't affect me, but lots of people obviously were then going, oh, I don't know if I should buy the mushrooms Ooh, anymore. That's right. Mushroom farmers had to come out yeah. and say, look, you know, this death cap mushrooms. That's not the sort that we sell in the Woolies. Yeah. So don't stop, don't stop exactly. buying your button mushrooms. Yeah, keep yeah. putting them Please in your stroganoff. Get your anokis, all that. Yeah. The, the thing is, and and not to speak to you know her guilt or innocence, but just the prospect that there could be sort of like a poisoning like. This. It's almost medieval, isn't yeah, it? You know? Yeah, bizarre, which I think is why it made such uh, big news around the world. Uh, it's very rare that we see a story like this, and no doubt it will dominate the news cycle when she's mm. back in court in May next year. You're listening to The West Live. During the pandemic, wait times on elective surgeries blew out and it resulted in a huge backlog of patients needing procedures. In WA, they've made inroads on this backlog, setting a record pace of performing these elective procedures. But more patients are added all the time. More than 855,000, in fact, were added around Australia this year, which is putting an enormous strain on the public health system. But is there another solution than just making people wait? Joining me now with an answer to that that question is CEO of Day Hospitals Australia, Jane Griffiths. Good morning, Jane. Welcome to The West Live. Good morning, Ben. And so let's start by defining what we mean when we say elective surgery. What sort of procedures are we talking about? 
Uh, we're talking about a wide variety of procedures from, from quite uh, simple procedures for um, skin lesions that could, of course, be, be cancer, uh, cataract surgery, joint replacement surgery, uh, removal of gallbladders, uh, paediatric surgery, uh, particularly ear, nose and throat surgery. There's a huge waiting list across Australia for children just waiting for grommets. Um, so it's a wide range of surgery. So it's not emergency surgery. So it's surgery that, that uh, can wait a few weeks, but certainly not months and years in some cases. Mm. And I think that's the thing in some people's mind. They hear elective and they think, oh, well, it's, you know, it's this voluntary thing. It's not the end of the world. But for some of the people uh, who are on these waiting lists, they can be in quite severe discomfort waiting for a procedure. Is that correct? Absolutely. And I think one of the areas that, that really was came to light during the pandemic is the diagnostic procedures, particularly endoscopy for um, potential bowel disease. And a lot of patients didn't have their endoscopy, which means there could be a lot more advanced disease in the community because of this. So that's just one example. Mm. And so, as I mentioned, uh, there are a lot of people added to waiting lists for elective surgeries in hospitals around the country, in public hospitals. Uh, why do you yes. think uh, there's been this huge increase? Part of it was a result of all the lockdowns, uh, particularly on the eastern seaboard, but, but also here where surgery was cancelled, elective surgery was cancelled, um, and so naturally that just increased the backlog. But we've also got a problem, as you're probably aware, in our hospitals of ambulance ramping, where um, particularly elderly patients often can't be placed once they leave hospital, so they're filling up beds. So this can also result in um, cancellation of surgery. There's also a huge workforce issue across the health se sector. We're very short of, of nurses in particular. In fact, uh, by 2025, it's predicted there'll be 100,000 nurses short. So all these factors uh, are contributing to the increase in backlog of elective surgery. Yeah, gosh. And governments around Australia uh, acknowledging that there are these wait lists uh, for elective surgeries in public hospitals and and probably to some degree hide behind, um, you know, this idea that, well, you know, all health systems around Australia are struggling at the moment. Public health systems are struggling to uh, have uh, to find staff, doctors, nurses. Uh, is that an, as enough of an excuse to excuse it? Or is there another way that we can maybe start to address uh, these wait lists? There is certainly the, the private sector um, has capacity to assist. Uh, in some states, um, that's, that's being done very well, but it's still not coordinated. And we, we've actually been speaking with the Federal Health Minister about how we can um, get, the, get the states uh, and the territories to have a more collaborative approach to this elective surgery issue. Now, most of the elective surgery around the country that's going to the private sector is going to large overnight hospitals. They're expensive. Uh, day hospitals are the most cost-effective part of the health sector. Uh, and unfortunately in Western Australia, not for want of trying, uh, we have offered um, the services of our members in WA, but none of them have, have had any take-up of, of public uh, patients. Whereas in other states, 
um, that's happening quite well. Certainly in Queensland, they have a, an organisation called Surgery Connect, which is run by the Department of Health, and many of our members are participating in that, particularly for cataract uh, surgery. And as you can imagine, if you're waiting for a cataract and you're having difficulty seeing, not only is your quality of life affected, but you potentially could be a risk to others in the community, particularly if you're still driving. Um, in Tasmania, for example, no public cataracts are done in the public sector. They're all done in mainly the day hospital uh, sector in Tasmania, so they're outsourced to the private sector. Um, in uh, South Australia, um, they have set up a surgery panel and I think there's about eight of our day hospitals in Adelaide now uh, assisting. But in Western Australia, that's just not happening. And why do you think that is? I have no idea <laughs> for want of trying. Uh, I certainly have approached uh, uh, Premier McGowan, uh, um, now Premier Cook when he was Health Minister, um, Minister Sanderson, they've, they've all been approached with no response. And I just think um, that this is extraordinary when there's around 20 to 25% capacity in our hospitals. I know that uh, one of our hospitals um, near the Joondalup campus has offered numerous times um, to assist. Uh, they certainly could do quite major orthopaedics. So it's a brand new day hospital with three very well-equipped um, theatres, uh, but there's just, there's just no response. So I think part of the problem is the lack of collaboration across the country. Uh, you probably remember that when the pandemic hit, um, the Federal Minister for, for Health, Greg Hunt, um, set up a, a situation where the private sector was integrated into the public sector. And that meant that the private hospitals had to be on standby for any assistance that they could provide. And we were, their day hospitals were included in that. Um, but it hasn't carried through post, post those pandemic years. So, yeah. you know, really something has to, has to happen um, because the public sector just can't cope. Yeah, it does seem as though uh, this is a solution that's just there, uh, ready to be rolled into action and do something to get those people off those wait lists. Uh, people who, have we said today, uh, can be experiencing discomfort uh, and it can be a stressful time for them indeed. CEO of Day Hospitals Australia, Jane Griffiths, thanks for sharing this message on The West Live today. It's my pleasure. Do you have a favourite Christmas movie? Excuse me. I'm here to see a Walter Hobbs. I'm Buddy the Elf. <laughs> you look hilarious. Who sent you? Papa Elf. Papa Elf? Mm -hmm. From the North Pole. From the North Pole? Yes. Yes, Will Ferrell in Elf is a classic for a reason. What else can we be forgetting? Kevin! <laughs> it's hard to go past Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone, but my all-time favourite Christmas movie is this one. Yes, Die Hard, of course, is the greatest Christmas movie of them all. But could these festive flicks also be good for your mental health? Joining me now is psychologist Dr Marnie Lishman. Marnie, welcome back to the show. How are you going? Yeah, good. So what are your favourite Christmas movies? <laughs> oh, I like the realism with uh, the Griswold family Christmases, <laughs> you know. <laughs> 
that shows the range of emotions, I think, that is actually real at Christmas time. <laughs> well, look, that, that probably says a lot about uh, your family Christmases growing up, if, if you're relating to uh, the National Lampoons. Um, but there's so many, so many wonderful Christmas movies, from, from your rom-coms like your Love Actuallys to your classics like It's a Wonderful Life. Um, uh, Little yeah. Women is fantastic too. There are just so many to choose from. Um, but beyond just being entertaining and something to do with the family when there's not much else on TV, can Christmas movies have an impact on our mental health? You know, I I definitely think so. Um, I think, uh, you know, they make us feel good. And even the most cringeworthy Christmas ones, and there's a lot on the streaming devices, isn't there, let's be honest. Um, I think people are just lured this time of the year to sit down with the family and watch them. And and they're doing it to feel good, aren't they? And there's a range of reasons. And I think the main one is a lot of Christmas movies are really nostalgic. So they take us back, don't they, to our holiday experiences in the past, particularly our childhood. Yeah, absolutely. And there's always a meaning and a message uh, with these movies. And is that how does yes. that, how do we process that? Is that in terms of you know sort of taking some of these messages on board? Oh, uh, you know, well, the thing is, like a lot of these movies, particularly the ones that I think we really resonate with, like I said, you know, the National Lampoons. I think we've all been there. <laughs> Christmas is not all, um, you know, bells and Christmas trees. It's dealing with human beings. So I think uh, some of these movies actually. Uh, show the trials and tribulations of life and I think that really reflects back to us you know stuff about our life as well and as you would know a lot of movies follow kind of that hero's journey you know so there's that range of emotions where people are going through some really hard stuff and then there's hope and then there's there's helpers and at the end that you know the the feel-good stuff happens and that really reflects and and mirrors our own life and things that go through that we go through on a daily basis. Mm. And why is feeling good so important at this time of year? I think it's pitched to us. It's supposed to be the the funnest, the most happiest time of year. And uh, I think that's what we really aspire to be. And I often say to my clients who go through tough time at this time of year is to say to yourself, how do I want to feel? And if you want to feel happy and you want to feel connected and you want to feel joy and you want it to be an exciting time, you really have to steer your brain in that direction and make sure that your behaviours reflect that. Otherwise, you do get caught up in the the hustle and bustle of this time of the year and sometimes conflict. So I think it's something that we want to feel, but we have to remember that we have to take those steps, don't we, to make sure that it actually actualises. Yeah, that's right. You've got to make conscious choices to try and <laughs> yeah. make, make some of that stuff a reality. Uh, or just put on, put on Bad Santa with Billy Bob Thornton and then just be a total <laughs> Christmas Grinch. Uh, and so beyond, exactly. just, beyond just watching movies, what choices can people yes. make to look after their mental well-being during the festive season? Yeah, I think, you, uh, um, you know, Christmas expects so much of us. You know, there's so many traditions around it and sometimes it really just doesn't align with the reality of our own life. So I say to people, just stop for a moment and say, what do I want out of this time of the year? Uh, you know, what does my my smaller family unit, you know, you can't keep your whole extended family happy at this time of the year. So what do, do, what do you yourself and the, 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 your, your small family unit actually want? And, and this is where... If you kind of consciously think about what you want at this time of the year, you can create your own new traditions. So you don't have to have turkey at Christmas lunch. You could have a salad or go to the beach. There's lots of different things that probably will make you happier than what you think you should be doing. And I think, you know, we live in a 
uh, we live in you know WA where there's a range of things we could do in summer. It doesn't have to be what we saw in the Christmas movies. You know, there's there's no snow falling, <laughs> there's no snow falling, and there's no carol singers. So we can do what we like at Christmas, and that often means saying no if um, yeah you're overwhelmed and under pressure this year. And now I won't get a chance to talk to you uh, before the new year because our last show for the year is tomorrow. So I thought let's just look a little bit further ahead to New Year's, which is a time of hope and maybe a resolution or two for some people. Um, How should we be thinking about the year ahead to not just uh, completely turn our brains into pretzels? It's definitely going to be a pretzel on Boxing Day. Everyone's got a pretzel mind for that because everyone's so tired. But it is. It's a very evaluative, um, very reflective time of the year as well, isn't it? We kind of looking back at what worked, what didn't in 2023, and what can we, what worked, and what do we want to achieve going forward. So I think really just you know relax in betwixtness, you know, in that time before. New Year's Day, just relax and really have that presence. So just have fun and do not march. And that's where your ideas, I think, start coming up. That's when your imagination lights up about what you want next year. And then just start thinking about what excites you and start setting some goals, but be really specific about them. You know, really kind of go, yeah, you know, I want to do, you know, just bring it down to what behaviours you want to change. Um, but always start with things that excite you. Don't be depriving yourself, you know, don't be dieting and things like that. Start with some goals that, you know, are bringing positive things into your life, not taking things away. Yeah, that's a good idea. I think so many people mm. do that. They think oh, it's almost like a punishment that they yeah. want to start the year with, uh, which is a I terrible know. way to go. Try and maybe try and you know start a new hobby or something like that. Something that adds value to your life. Uh, and you might yeah. find, I think, by the end of the year, you've you've picked up some new skills, made some new friends, and and maybe twenty twenty four will be the best year yet. We can only yeah. hope. Uh, psychologist Dr. Hope. Marnie Lishman, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on the West Live this year. It's always great to talk to. You. Uh, and you make sure you and your family have a great Chrissy and a safe New Year's. You too. You too. Merry Christmas. And that's it from the West Live today. We'll be back tomorrow from 7am. And don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You've been listening to the West Live with Ben O'Shea. If the story behind the story matters to you, then you can count on the west.com.au to deliver.